you are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. to his word. Uh, and so we want to welcome you, especially if you're watching online today. Thank you for, for joining us this morning. And if you've been with us, we've been on a series in the book of Acts, and I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Has it been a blessing to you? Amen. It's been such an incredible uh, book of the Bible that talks about the church and the purpose of the church and how God continues to build his church all over the world. And we get to see that firsthand in the book of Acts how it happened. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of uh, Acts in chapter 12. Uh, That's where we're going to find ourselves today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me to the book of Acts chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 1 through 24. Uh, And this title of the series has been Jesus Builds His Church. And today we're talking about spreading the word. Everybody say, spread the word. If you're watching online, you can put that in the comments for us today, Um, talking about how you and I develop a story that's worth telling. That is going to be our main point today. Our main theme of today is we have a story to tell. How many of you have a story to tell of God's goodness on your life and his grace? And uh, and so today we're going to talk about spreading the word. And uh, if there was anything I learned as a child uh, growing up, my, my parents introduced me to this wonderful thing, especially since I'm a redhead. They introduced me to this wonderful thing called sunscreen. Anybody ever heard of that before? Yes, it's such an important thing to spread on my skin, especially when I'm in the sun. And, uh, but there are times where, you know, you just feel like you're invincible, right? And there was this one time uh, in my sophomore year of college during that, or I just got done with my sophomore year of college, and in the summertime, I uh, got the privilege, my grandparents gifted me with a trip to Israel for about a month. It was a study tour with some people from different colleges around the country, and I was going there, um, and there was a lot of places I got to see that was pretty incredible. You get to see the Sea of Galilee, you get to see where they believe Jesus was crucified, where they believe Jesus resurrected uh, as far as his tomb, and, and all these different places, the Dead Sea, all these cool places um, but there was a couple of days where um, we had a break. You know, we got to go sightseeing, those kinds of things, places we wanted to do on our own. And so uh, we went to this place called Tel Aviv. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that in Israel, but um, it's a great place to go, especially if they have a, a great beach and ocean. How many of you love the beach, right? It's such a, a wonderful place. And so we, we got to go to the beach um, there and, and swim. And it was a lot of a lot of fun, and I went there twice. We, we went there once, and then we went the second time because we enjoyed it so much. And, uh, you know, you get there, and I don't know what came over me that day, but that day, I just thought I was invincible, and I didn't need sunscreen. And so I went the whole entire day without putting any sunscreen on. And guess what I looked like in the morning? 
I looked like I, I was burnt to the crisp. I had a roommate that whole month, and um, he just, I woke up, and he looks at me, and his eyes are so big. Like, it was just like, he thought it was a new person that just got out of that bed. But uh, I remember getting on the bus, everybody's staring at me like, what just happened to him, right? And just, just totally was reminded that day that I will not tan. I just get more freckles on my body. That's pretty much how it goes for me. So I uh, learned a valuable lesson. So if anything, you walk away from this today, just remember, put on your sunscreen, amen? Um, anyways, so there's a lot of things that we can spread around the world, a lot of different messages that obviously get spread. And so um, today we're going to talk about how the church continues to grow despite uh, persecution that they face, despite uh, numerous different things they've walked through. And they continue to, to see God do new things in the church. And so we've seen God pour out his spirit on the, the people in the very beginning of Acts. Um, then we see, you know, Saul get transformed. We talked about that several weeks ago, about a man who was so dedicated to uh, persecuting the church and eliminating this whole idea of sharing Jesus around uh, that area. He was, he was set on uh, making sure that did not happen. And so then we see his life get changed by Jesus. And then we've seen just last week how uh, the Lord um, really begins to do a new thing. He, uh, he then pours out his spirit on Gentiles. And so rather taking the church by surprise. And so then we find ourselves in a new story about, a, about another potential crisis that could have taken place if it wasn't for the grace of God to carry them through that. And so this morning we're going to talk about three different principles that are going to help us when it comes to having a story to tell. The first one is a continued trust in God. Everybody say continue trust. If you're watching online, you can put that in the comments. And this is so important because you can trust something at one point in time, but then you can lose trust in it. How many you understand that? And this is what the church has done. They have learned to trust God, but they've learned to continue to trust God because of what they're about to face in this story. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 uh, for this first passage. We'll kind of take this in sections. So I'll, I'll read verses 1 through 4 to begin. But it says this. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. That's one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So what we see right off the beginning of this, we're going to stop here for just a moment, is we're, we're, we're introduced to a man named Herod. This is known to be Herod Agrippa. And what we do notice about Herod is his desire to please the Jewish people. How many of you catch that? He desired to gain their approval. And this is so important to him that he was willing to do unimaginable, out-of-character-type of out of character type of things. And so what he ended up doing was trying to gain the acceptance of a people group. Because Herod has a history uh, in his family with the Jewish people. His grandmother, they believe, was a part of a Jewish revolt against the Greeks back in the day. And so Herod had a connection with the Jewish people, and he constantly was trying to gain their approval, such as this. They, he sees that they appreciated uh, him putting to death a man named James, who was one of the 12 disciples. And then we see him decide to arrest Peter because all, what he's simply doing 
is he's wanting the approval of people, which can be a very dangerous place. This is where this chapter begins, where it can be a very dangerous thing for you to gain the approval of people. Because over and over and over again, and let Herod be an example, that if we try to consistently make our central focus on gaining people's approval, what you're going to end up doing is doing things that are out of character and unimaginable things. And what you're going to end up doing is losing yourself in the process. And this is what happened to Herod. Herod lost himself. He was so fixed on making sure people accepted him, but it was never good enough because you see the, the domino effect. He has to arrest James. He then puts James to death. But they wanted him to do more. How many understand it? They wanted him to do more than just that. Because you see, whenever you try to make the central focus about gaining people's approval, it will never be enough, and you will always walk away unfulfilled. It always happens. But when you come to know Jesus, you realize this, that he welcomes you. He welcomes you with open arms, and every time that you're in his presence and you walk away from that moment, you are left fulfilled. There's a big difference when you make the central focus all about Jesus and not on people. Because honestly, you'll never, never be enough when it comes to the approval of people. But with Jesus, he's enough for you and he will welcome you with open arms and leave you fulfilled. Something that no one else could ever give you. This is such an important concept to catch right off the bat. And so now we see what's happened. This is a very pivotal moment in the church because, again, Peter is a leader. He is a very, he's definitely a vocal leader. We've seen him put his foot in his mouth several times in the Gospels, but we've seen Peter rise up to be this incredible leader. But then you see James get put to death. And if you're like me, and maybe you've read this, you ask this question, why does James get put to death? And as we'll read the story, why does Peter get delivered. What's the, what's the catch? Is James not liked by anybody? <laughs> is, James, is James not the family favorite? Like, is he, what's, what, why James? Why of all people? Why does it have to be James? Why does James get put to death and Peter gets delivered? Maybe you've asked that question. I mean, if you've asked that question, like, why does James get delivered? Or James get put to death, but Peter gets delivered. What we do know is this, the church is at a point at a crossroads here where this could be very, very dangerous as far as they could disperse and the whole thing could just be over in this moment. But we see what they do in verse five. It says this, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church, it became, this, this situation became about Herod's intentions versus the church's prayers. And here's what, the church was able to control. They were able to control the fact that they could still meet together and they could still pray. This was such a critical point in their journey. It was, and it's such an important principle because they learned to trust God despite what would happen. That they had to come together and pray. We've talked about this before, about the importance of a church praying together. You can pray Obviously, at your house, you can pray in your car, you can pray by yourself. I get that. But this is a very key theme that we have seen over and over and over in the book of Acts about them being together, about them coming together, and about them praying together over things that are out of their control. They understood this, and there's another key theme here. They understood God is sovereign. How many have heard? We've talked about this several times. 
about God being sovereign, which means he is supreme commander. He is the master planner. We've seen the enemy, even in the book of Acts. It says that when they came against Jesus, what did the, what did the enemy's plans look like? He got the Jews and the Gentiles together to destroy what Jesus was trying to do. They tried to put Jesus to death. You had the Romans and the Jewish people coming together. You had Herod and you had Pilate. Two enemies all of a sudden become friends over this whole Jesus situation. The the writer of Acts is simply saying this. The whole world was against Jesus in that moment and the enemy of our soul, Satan, Jesus calls him, had a masterful plan. It seemed to be anyway until he ran into the master, God, sovereign God. This is so critical for us to catch because what they realize is even though this is something out of my control, I cannot, it is something I did not expect. They still had a deeper trust with God, despite how it goes. This is what Jesus is calling us to, to have a deeper trust in God. And you can simply look at it this way in a number of different ways, but how many of you have had life go according to every single one of your plans, right? (laughs) We've all experienced a number of different things that did not go according to plan. Your health, your job, your family, your friends. I can just keep going and going and going and naming it all. A lot of things are not going to go according to plan. But the good news is this, is that God is sovereign. He is the master He has a plan for every single thing, and he will even take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it for his good. That is something we can know. The church could not explain it as far as this goes. Why James and not Peter? Why? why? But they understood this. You know what, God? We trust you because you are sovereign. You are the master planner. And even Neil, I don't understand it. We know that you can turn this situation for your good. And they trusted God through this whole process because that's what prayer will do is it will take you deeper in your trust with God prayer takes you deeper prayer presses through the emotion of what you're feeling in that moment and what you're doing is that you become in control of your emotions rather than your emotions becoming in control of you it's pushing through it's praying through and so this is why you need to pray together because there are going to be times where you don't want to pray about something because you feel defeated have you ever felt defeated before But when you have people that can believe for you, it increases your faith also. It's such a a beautiful thing to, to witness and to see. Because I know this, when it comes to calling on the name of God. Remember, we talked about this with Saul's transformation. When Saul is trying to persecute the church, Jesus shows up and a light just blinds Paul or blinds Saul. He goes to the ground. Saul, in that moment, says, Who are you, Lord? Remember, we said that word Lord is not just an accident. He says that on purpose. That word Lord means you are in the one that's in control over me. Life transformation for Saul happened right there. You are in control over my life in this moment. And what you and I get to do in the privilege is that we get to call on God. Whenever we walk through any of these kinds of situations we're walking through that are, that are, that are a struggle, whatever that may look like, you can call in the name of of God, and you're not just, it's not just a meaningless thing that you're saying, but what you're saying is you're calling on God's character. I, I know that you're in control. I know you're in control. Even though I don't understand it, I know you're in control. 
This is such a critical thing because I know if I'd be in a crowd like this walking around talking to people, I know my, I have two boys, they're six and two, and I know in a crowd I, I could lose attention with them. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what's going on, but I know as soon as they say my name, doesn't matter how many voices are talking, I recognize their voice. I recognize their voice, and I will immediately turn to see where they are. Even though that's my human side, we serve a God who's, whose attention is never off of us. He's never off of you. His eyes are fixed on you. And the moment you call on his name, he's right there. Even on my human side, I can't always have my attention on my boys, but with God, it's amazing. He's perfect in every way. He, we just sing a song. He's holy. He's holy. It means he's perfect in every way. He's pure. Everything about him. His attention is never off of us. Just let that be a reminder for those who are walking through some situations, and you know, because you're, you're probably playing it through your mind or you're thinking about it, but just remind yourself that he is the God who's in control and his attention is on you. His attention is not off of you. It's on you. And so as we read more about what we're going to see and witness in verses 6 through 11, when it comes to a continued trust with God, this is what it says in verse 6. The night before Herod was bringing him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. I don't know about you, but I'm not sleeping the night before my trial. Peter's sleeping. It's biblical. You can take a nap. Amen? Like it's, <laughs> you can take a good nap. Anybody like Sunday afternoon naps, right? Um, Peter's sleeping. I don't know about you, but I'm not sleeping. I am worried. I got, I got things. I, I just, I've seen what happened to Jesus when he went to trial. I've seen what happened when James went to trial. I am not sleeping, right? But Peter's sleeping. We'll talk a little bit about what that means because it's more than just sleeping your problems away, even though that would probably be nice for a lot of us, right? Where it's like, if I just go to sleep, all my problems disappear. No, it's not what it means. But this is what it will say. It says, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. There you go, automatic doors. I love those things, amen? And they went through it. When they had walked the length of the one street, suddenly the angel left them. Then Peter, in verse 11, came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Peter, the night before, is sleeping in a prison cell where he probably is convinced that this is probably it for him. He believes God, though, and he has a deep trust, but more than likely, the end is near for him. And he's sleeping, and I, and I think that's such a, a significant thing to find out, because what this is talking about, again, it's not talking about sleeping your problems away. But Peter saw the example of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. And we'll go there, Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through uh, 41. It says this, just listen to this. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, that's Jesus, let's go to the other side. 
Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There was also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern. What was Jesus doing? Sleeping. Sleeping on a cushion. Everybody thinks they're going to die, and Jesus is on a cushion, and he's sleeping. That must be a deep sleep. Any deep sleepers? Right? Nothing wakes you up. Jesus is a deep sleeper, I guess. He is on a cushion in the middle of a squall, and he's sleeping. The disciples welcomed and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What I find so interesting is in that moment what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus says to Peter and to those disciples that were there, why so little faith? Do you have no faith in me? And all of a sudden, now we see Peter in Acts chapter 12, sleeping. What is, what is, what is Acts trying to show you? What is Luke trying to show you? He's trying to show you how much deeper Peter went. How much deeper Peter's trust in God has gone from Mark chapter 4 to Acts chapter 12. Everybody catch that? It is a moment where something different was in Peter. Peter continued to trust God despite what would come his way. It's such an interesting thing Luke would write. Luke doesn't write that for no reason. I believe there's a, a direct connection between those two. And guess who gives Mark, the gospel writer, the stories in the gospel of Mark? Guess who he gets the content from? He gets it from Peter. Peter gives him the content of the stories that he had to share. And Peter brings up that story. Why? Because in Acts chapter 12, there's a connection with Peter in that moment where he says, you know what? My faith has gone deeper than what it was in Mark chapter 4. I'm just here to tell you, God is trying to take you deeper with him and his trust in him. But how did Peter go deeper? How did Peter go deeper? You may be thinking, well, how do I go deeper in my trust with God? Simple. For Peter, for his disciples, those disciples, it was obedience. Obedience. Peter was not a perfect individual. <laughs> Peter often put his foot in his mouth a lot. You just got to read the gospel. He says a lot of crazy stuff sometimes. Peter denied Christ three times. Couldn't even admit to a servant girl who had no power over him. Couldn't even admit that he knew Jesus. He went through a lot, but he kept going. There's the difference. What so often happens to so many people is that there comes a point, there comes a crossroads where you and I have to make a decision. Am I going to continue to trust God or am I going to say, I don't want that anymore? And now what you have done is not put your trust in God. You're now trusting yourself again. And what will happen is lead you down a place just like Herod, where you're living for yourself. And it's a dangerous place to be because what will happen is that you start to lose who you are. You start to do things out of character. You start to do unimaginable things, things you never thought you would do. It's all, it happens to everybody. It's not just one person. Especially if you remember the life you were like before you came to know Christ. You know what I'm talking about. You know what it was like to live for yourself. You know what it was like. You started doing things out of character. And there are going to be times as you follow God that you're going to do things that you're not proud of. 
But for Peter, what he discovered is if I keep going, if I just keep trusting in God, I'm going to go deeper in my trust that no matter what comes my way, God is going to be faithful to me. And to be absent from this body, just like Paul says, to be absent from this body means I will be present with my Lord again forever and ever. And I would rather have that. This is such a critical point that Peter is at, but he went deeper. And that's such an encouraging thing to see. And what's such an amazing thing for Peter is he didn't even know he was being delivered. <laughs> Did you catch that? He thought he was seeing some kind of vision, just some vision, you know? But, Peter, but when Peter recognized, after it had taken place, Peter recognized he was delivered. You see, when you go deeper in your trust with God, you don't even know he's delivering you, but he is. It's a process a lot of times through the deliverance. Some of us are walking through some situations. You're walking through a health crisis. You're walking through an addiction. You're walking through a number of different things, fear, stress, anxiety. I could go, the list could go on and on and on. But I'm here to tell you, the deeper you go in your trust with God, one day you're going to realize God delivered me. And you didn't even know he was, but he was the whole time. You're going to be able to reflect. It's so important that you reflect on your life because you're here. You may be thinking, well, Pastor Bobby, I'm not having the greatest season. I, I understand you may not be having the greatest season of your life right now, but I'm just here to tell you, you're in God's house. By the grace of God, the Bible says man makes his plans, but God orders your steps. <laughs> your plans may not go according to what you have intended to happen, but God has ordered your steps to be here. Because why? Because you desire to go deeper. You may not even want to be here, but you're here. I understand, and I'm glad you're here. But I'm just here to tell you, you serve a, a God. We have a God in heaven who loves us, who cares about us, and who desires to deliver you. And this is what happens in verse 12 through 17, is that we get to tell others about his deliverance. Everybody say deliverance. If you're watching online, you can put that in the comments. This is what it said in uh, verse 12. Verse 7 through verse 17, he says this. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. People motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and describe how the Lord brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, about this, he said, and then he left for another place. This is a different James, not the same one that was mentioned at the beginning. So what I find to be so interesting, before Peter disappears from the scene, lays low, he finds it important to go to the church to talk about his deliverance. <laughs> I love it. Peter could have just be gone. What does Peter do? It says he knows the exact location where the church is praying. Somehow, some way, Peter got the text message or social media post where the prayer meeting was happening. I don't know how he got it, but he got it. He figured out where they were, and he thought it necessary to go and talk to them about his deliverance. I'm just here to say to you, your story has power. Your testimony, we call it. Your, your testimony has power. Your story is meant to be shared 
because you have no idea who that's going to impact. You have no idea. You may be passionate about well, I just don't think I have a powerful story. No, you do have a story. What we need to do is just reflect on the grace of God. Say, God, look, this is where I probably could have been if it wasn't for you. I think about it often. I'm like, God, I could have been here if it wasn't for you. And I'm so glad that I'm here now because of what he has done in my life, the transformation that has taken place in my life. It's the grace of God Paul talks about. It's the grace of God, how he's led you through storm after storm after storm, just like Mark chapter 4, just like Acts chapter 12. doesn't matter. God is leading you through the storms that you're facing in your life. And you get to talk about his deliverance. You get to talk about his deliverance from anything, from sickness, depression, addictions, from even dark places that you have gone. You have a story to share. You have a story to be told. And what it's going to do is it's going to encourage some people. It's going to give people hope. It's going to make people just think, I don't know how it happened, but all I know is it did happen, so it must have been God. And this is such an encouraging thing to catch in this portion of Scripture. And, you know, I feel bad for this servant girl named Rhoda. I mean, at least she answered the door or a ghost of the door, right? Wasn't some door-to-door salesperson, right? How many of you avoid the door-to-door salespeople, right? You're just like, don't, I hope they don't see me, you know? She, she at least goes to the door, but she's so excited, she forgets to open it. Have you ever been so excited about something? You just forgot everything about what you're supposed to do, right? You get overjoyed. This is what happened to Rhoda. She got so excited, and she goes and tells everybody about her experience, what she's just seen. And guess what? The church that was praying for Peter's deliverance didn't even believe her. It's like they didn't even believe, they didn't even believe the prayer that they were praying, but they prayed it anyway. I love it. You can pray prayers. It's okay. That even may be hard to believe. They prayed a prayer for Peter's deliverance, and then when they heard that Peter was delivered, they didn't even believe it. I find that to be fascinating. Such, such irony in that moment, right? And so, um, what's so amazing, what happens after this is Rhoda gets, insi- she, it says she insisted that he's at the door because they were trying to tell her it, it's probably just his angel, which this is not the main portion of this. But the reason why they say that is a lot of Jewish people would talk, would talk about guardian angels and stuff. Um, that's not the point of this whole thing, but that's just what they gave as a reason. And so what Rhoda says is, no, that's not an angel. That's Peter at the door. I know what I saw. I know what I've experienced. Let me just, you, not everybody's going to believe your story that you tell. Not everybody's going to believe you. Even good-willed people may not believe your story. That's okay. Because you know why? Just like they saw with Rhoda, they saw that she insisted. It, it means that she showed complete confidence. Complete confidence. Such a, an amazing word to have put in there. Showed complete confidence. It wasn't just an inward confidence. It was an outward one. It was complete confidence. In order for them to see it, they had to follow her to the door. And Peter kept knocking. Peter was knocking and knocking and knocking. And they finally saw it. And they finally saw first. Listen, I'm just here to tell you, not everybody's going to believe your story. But what they will see as you walk through life is they'll see the fruit. They're going to be like, man, that, that, 
man's a changed person. That lady, man, she's had a radical transformation in Jesus Christ. And they may not see it right away, but they may see it later down the road. The point is, it's not whether or not people believe your story. It's to know that I have a confidence in Jesus Christ, that he has changed me, he has delivered me, and I'm walking in it regardless if anybody believes me or not. We've got to get confident in the stories of what God has done for us. You've got to get confidence. God wants to give you that confidence. And even though people may doubt you, people think, well, just wait three months. They're going to be right back where they were. Listen, regardless, you answer to the audience of one, and that is God. And what he's done in you, the testimony he has given you, is nothing anyone can ever take away from you because you've experienced it. I feel bad for Rhoda, but I give Rhoda credit. Even though nobody would believe her, she kept on insisting, no, that's no angel, that's, that's Peter at the door. It's such a powerful, powerful thing for Luke to put that in there. It's so critical that he did because he wanted to tell somebody about what Rhoda experienced, even those who didn't believe her. The last part of this is that we spread the word of God. Everybody say, spread the word of God. This is so important because as, these are like steps, as you build trust in God and you go deeper through obedience, how do you gain a deeper trust with God? Through obedience. A lot of times people are wanting so many different specifics about their obedience towards God. And I'm just here to tell you, are we even doing the general things that he already told us to do? Because what you and I have to do I would say, you know, I'll be like, God, what do you want me to do? And sometimes I just kind of remind myself, am I even doing the, the general things that God has called me to do? And I feel like this is so important because somebody asked me this question once. Because I wanted to trust God, but I had a hard time trusting God. <laughs> I'm a pastor, but I also have a heart, and I'm a human. And this is what the individual said. He read in between the lines, and he asked me this question. He said, What's the thing God's been telling you to do that you keep avoiding? That's a deep question. Because he didn't know. I knew what it was, though. It cut right through all the, the junk. And I was reminded of things God had told me that he wanted me to do. And I just kept saying, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do it. But it, came, it kept coming back around over and over and over and it's the thing, and if you're in this room today, there's something that you've been avoiding. I encourage you to stop avoiding the voice. Because as you step in it, your trust in God's gonna go deeper. And what you're gonna realize is God's not trying to take something from you, He's trying to give you something that's greater than you could ever imagine. It's called joy, a joy that the world cannot give you. It's called peace, a peace that this world cannot give you called hope, a hope that this world cannot give you. Only Jesus can give it to you. But as you step in it, you will experience it more and more and more. I'm telling you this as a living witness to what I've experienced over and over and over again. And as I've learned about this, as I share you with, share about this, what it does is it gives me a passion for the word of God more and more, and it brings the word of God to life. It brings it to life over and over and over again. I'll explain it to you this way. When I, I mentioned that at the beginning, I went to Israel, and I got to go see a lot of different places. One of the most beautiful places I got to see was when I went to the, the battlefield where David and Goliath fought. There was a hill on one side, a hill on the other. That's where the Philistines and Goliath were, and that's where David and, 
the Israelites were. But in the middle of that valley, that field was the most beautiful scene I've ever seen. I've ever seen in my life. It's beautiful. There's flowers, trees. I mean, there were so much different colors. It was just an amazing to, to, to be there. And even though I've read the story of David and, Goliath, David and Goliath that feel like a thousand times, that story was not boring. That story came to life. Why? Because I experienced something that was brand new. I experienced something that took place, and I know happened. And now as I read that story, I imagine the scenery. And I just think, what a beautiful scene, but also what a powerful God. It's such a, a critical thing when you and I share our stories, when we go into deeper trust with God, the word of God becomes more alive. When you look at, look at that word salvation, that word salvation comes to life. Why? Because you've experienced it. When you look at the word grace, and you look at that word, that grace has power. Why? Because you've experienced it. When you call on the name of the Lord, why does that name, the Lord, become powerful? It's because you know he is the God who's in control. Over and over and over, the word of God, the Bible says the word is alive. It's active. And in order for, that, for us to experience that, when we walk in it, when we trust him, when we talk about what God has delivered us from, the word of God becomes more and more alive to us. And so we spread the word of God. This is what it says in verses 18 through 24. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examines the guards in order that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne, delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. That'll mess with your theology a little bit. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. I love that. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. This is what's happened to Herod. I said he was trying to gain the approval of people. And he kept doing things that were unimaginable, terrible things. Josephus, though a Jewish writer, would say he would die about five days later after this moment. Whether it was five days or in that moment, all we do know is this. It's not just a physical death. It was a spiritual one. It's a spiritual death, too. Because Herod made his life about himself, about all these different things about gaining people's approval, about gaining power, about gaining wealth, about gaining popularity contests. I mean, he was all about his image. And as soon as that image would get damaged, he would do things that were unimaginable. Do you see it? Because those soldiers did not keep Peter in the prison, it damaged Herod's reputation. And Herod made his life about reputation, not about character. And so he started to do unimaginable things towards individuals, towards people, because his reputation was damaged. So then when he gains the approval of all these people, he welcomes them, calling him a god. He welcomes it. I mean, you talk about how far somebody has really gone. And what we realize is that it gets, the plan that he had for the church is stopped. What it really is, is Satan's plan 
of destroying the church. What ended up happening, Satan's plans did not flourish, but the church did. The church flourished. This is what it means when we say what God meant or what the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it for good. There's a prime example of another plan the enemy had that ended up not working out, ended up folding. Why? Because Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And if people try to make it about them and about their egos, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen because it's all going to be, this is what we sing the song, all the glory, all the honor, all the praise goes to him. Why? Because he's the only one that can handle it. We can't handle all the glory. We can't handle all the honor. Herod's a prime example. He couldn't handle it. It got to his head. He started doing unimaginable things. And what we realize is this is not just a physical death. This was a spiritual one. And what you and I get to realize more and more and more is the goodness of God. Is the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Because his grace is more alive than ever before. And I'll close with this story and I'll have the band come. The word of God becomes more and more alive to me, especially when I reflect on my life, because I know where I've been and I know what God has brought me through and continuously brings me through. My freshman year of college, I had completed it, and I went home that summer, um, and I'm going to school to be a pastor in Bible college. That freshman year, after my freshman year that summer, I went home, and I made some terrible, stupid choices in relationships I was hanging around the wrong friends, and it just became bad. It was the worst summer. And I remember feeling so much guilt, shame, condemnation on my life. And I remember just telling God when I was in my car, I said, God, I'm done. I can't be this. I can't do it. And I remember verbalizing that to God, saying, God, I'm through. I'm not going back to school. I was like Moses in that moment. I said, God, you've got the wrong man. You've got the wrong guy. Pick somebody else. I'm not doing it. And I remember I found myself with a good friend of mine in a car, and we're just sitting there talking, and I just remember I just unloaded on him. I just unloaded everything, spilled, spilled it all. But what I realized is that he was also going through some stuff I had no idea he was going through. And what I realized in that moment, it wasn't just like, man, I'm terrible, you're terrible, okay, let's go. Oh, happy day. No, that's not what that was. It was more than that. We encouraged each other. We prayed with each other. We believed that God was going to bring us through these storms of life that we were walking through. And what I realized is that very next semester, I went back to my school, and the most amazing things happened in that, that year. I met my beautiful wife for the first time. I remember meeting some friends, getting to know them, and these are still deep friendships I have to this day. And I realized in that moment when Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life, and life more abundantly. The enemy of my soul, the enemy of your soul, is trying to destroy your future. That's what he's after. He's after the future that God has for you. But if you continue to trust in God, you continue to reflect on his goodness and his faithfulness to you, you'll begin to see over and over and over in the word of God how great and awesome and mighty our gracious heavenly father is towards us. 
It led me on a journey. And it's a journey that I continue to walk in by the grace of God. Because I know that when I read that book of Romans and I see the Apostle Paul just so overwhelmed by that grace that God had poured out on him, I'm like, I know exactly what he's talking about. Because I've experienced it and I continue to experience it. And it's this grace that will continue to lead me home when I stand before God again. It's that same grace. It's like that famous song, Amazing Grace. How sweet that sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This is what the goodness of God looks like. If you're here today, you think, Pastor Bobby, I'm too messed up. No, you're not. You're not that messed up. God is gracious. He loves you. He saved Saul. He saved me. He saved you. He can save you. And he welcomes you. This is what I reflected on. Ask this question. Have I placed my trust in God? Have you placed your trust in God? I was reminded of John chapter 8 where a woman is caught in adultery. And the religious leaders bring her before Jesus. And they know what needs to happen. She needs to be stoned to death. She knows what's going to happen. And there's Jesus. They're trying to trap him in this situation. And there's Jesus. And it says he gets down and he starts to write in the sand. Some people believe that he was writing the specific sins of those accusers that were standing there because it says one by one by one, they all walk away. And it's just the woman and Jesus. And Jesus says to her and asks her the question, where are your accusers? Are they here? She says, there's no one left. Jesus says, I do not condemn you, but I welcome your brokenness. I welcome you. This is the goodness of God. This is why Jesus came. He came to show us that we can be broken before him. And it's okay. You don't have to clean yourself up and then say, okay, now I can be a Christian because you can't do it. It's not about trying harder. It's about submission. Because the more, the more you try to try harder to fix yourself, the more frustrated you'll become. Trust me, I've been there. The more I try to fix myself, the harder I try. And I'm not saying that you don't create disciplines and stuff. What I am simply saying is that when it's not submitted to Jesus first, you're going to go in circles. And you're going to keep coming back to the same point and eventually get so frustrated that you walk away from it all. Because why? Because you're trying to do it in your own strength. And Jesus is simply saying, no, 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 no. I welcome you with open arms just the way you are. And when that woman walks away, he says, go and sin no more. She had a choice to make. Jesus wasn't going to force her. She, she, he just simply said, go and live this life in me. She wouldn't be perfect just like you and I wouldn't be perfect. But now she knew I have somebody to run to when I feel this brokenness again. I can now run to a Savior. I can now run to a Lord. I don't have to sit in my depression. I don't have to sit in my fear. I don't have to sit in my condemnation. I get to be set free from it all because of a God I serve. This is the good news of Jesus. If you're here today and you're walking through something that's shaking your faith or discouraged you, you should be prayed over by, by this today. And I would challenge you to be prayed over by people. We'll have prayer teams up here. 
I challenge you to be prayed over because you know what? There is something about people praying over you where you hear the words coming from their mouth. It does something to you. I can only talk to you about it, but I can't force you. But if you have something that has shaken your faith or you're living in a time of discouragement, you don't have to share every detail. You can just say, I just, I need prayer. They'll pray for you because you're welcoming God into your situation. I didn't get through what I went through by myself. I had people come around me. I had people help me. I had people encourage me because it was what I needed to hear. It kept me moving. It kept me going by the grace of God that I stand here because I can ima- I, I don't even actually want to imagine where I would be if it wasn't for the grace and goodness of God. So would you stand with me this morning? Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to start developing a heart of thanksgiving. Man, it's such a powerful thing to develop a heart of thanksgiving. And if our prayer teams can make their way forward, I'm just here to tell you, you have a story to tell. You may not know everything about your story yet. You may not even know what story to share just yet, but I'm here to tell you, you still have a story to tell. When you develop a heart of thanksgiving, you start to see the fingerprints of God all over your life from the very beginning. You start to see it over and over and over and over. So here this morning, we're going to sing with the worship team today. And if you need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm here to tell you this is the most beautiful day that you could do that. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, he says he will forgive you. He will give you a brand new start, a brand new life. No one else can offer it but him because that's who he is. He's paid the price for your sin. He's resurrected from the dead. So he will put all this past you and give you a brand new life. It's called salvation. You may be thinking, well, Pastor Bobby, I'm not sure if I'm saved or not. Listen, I'm telling you, you need to be like Rhoda. You need to walk out of this place confident that you are in the Lord and that you can step in that today. If you're here, you need prayer over something that's shaken your faith, discouraged you, health, whatever it may be, have people pray over you today. Let me pray a prayer of blessing over you today, but please don't walk out of here if you need prayer today. These prayer teams will remain up here uh, for you this morning. And, uh, but I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over the rest of the congregation today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful, wonderful power in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we have a story to tell. We have a story to share. Lord, I pray that you would take, take our deeper trust uh, towards you, God, more and more each and every day. Lord, let us walk in obedience. Lord, I pray, Lord, today that we reflect on the life, the goodness of God develop a heart of thanksgiving because we have a story to be shared. Lord, that would encourage people. Lord, that would also bring the word of God to life to us and to other people. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here knowing that you have given us the freedom to overcome. Lord, as you told those disciples, you said, follow me. Lord, what a beautiful phrase that you use, follow me, which means you've walked ahead of us, you've walked before us, and all we have to do is just join you. And Lord, I pray that we will join you in this relationship with you and follow you all the days of our life. Lord, we thank you for all the glory and all the honor belongs to you. Lord, let us be a representation of you wherever we go today. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. We love you. We'll see you here on Wednesday night. If not then, we'll see you on next Sunday. God bless you. Have a wonderful afternoon.